You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last week. We hope pros like us. We've reached week 10 of the NFL season. We've got a lot to get to. Uh, we're going to talk a little midseason uh, playoff picture. We are recording on Veterans Day week. So to all the uh, women and men who have served, we thank you very much for what you do for this country. Alex has a little something to get off his chest first. Yeah, I saw this tweet earlier today where CeeDee Lamb was fined 20000 for having his jersey untucked last week, while Aaron Rodgers, the great Aaron Rodgers, was fined 14000 for not following COVID protocols all season. I don't make the rules or enforce them. I'm not the NFL. I'm not Roger Goodell. But that just doesn't make any sense to me, Lou. It just doesn't make any sense. Maybe I'm living in some kind of a fantasy world where, you know, Aaron Rodgers can get fined 14000 for not following the COVID protocols, while CeeDee Lamb gets fined, you know, 20000 for having his jersey untucked. I mean, help me out here, Lou. Maybe I'm not understanding something. Well, no. I mean, none of their, the penalties seem to be consistent. I should say the fines. The way the fines are levied, there's no consistency to it because, of, again, you talk about you know what's important is player safety, uh, integrity of the game, all these different things, and here we're fining a guy twenty grand because his shirt's untucked. Come on, seriously? Now, if you're going to fine him, okay, let's do it. Make it substantial enough that he'll tuck his shirt in. But again, I don't know what the hell that has to do with anything. But for a guy that's breaking protocol, that's putting people's uh, health and safety in danger, he's getting fined less. Nothing about any of these punishments and penalties makes sense. I don't want to go crazy here. But going back to the whole Gruden thing and everything, all that stuff, that's inconsistent. Here's a fall guy and, and the, the people that are real culprits and so forth. We didn't find anything. Again, going back to this whole thing, referees, not, I don't think they really know how to call things anymore. And they're not consistent. Uh, the little hip check on Marsh the other night, the Monday night game, and the way he threw that flag. I mean, it was almost like a, a batter after he hit a home run, like a walk-off, like, I'll show you, buddy. And he throws the flag. And again, he may not have meant it that way, but that's the way it looked. But again, getting back to your point, all these things just go to the inconsistencies and kind of the stop gaps and band-aids that they try to put on these problems that... Not everybody sees. I don't know. Was there really a taunting problem in the NFL? The whole thing with Rodgers, the fines, not even close. That doesn't make any sense at all. And I don't know how to fix how, how does that get fixed? Look, Aaron Rodgers is making a gazillion dollars out there. You got to hit him where it hurts the most. I mean, you can't just... A regular person would be hurt by 14000 but Aaron Rodgers is not going to be hurt by this. I just wanted to get this off my chest. I think Roger Goodell's policies and, and these fines are just really ridiculous. 
they're inconsistent. And let's say 14,650, and I, how the hell they came up with that number, I don't know. But let's say, how about that much for every instance? So every time that he, can, at very least, team got fined $300,000, he should have been fined at least that much. But let's say the 14 whatever, every time he didn't wear a mask in the facility, during press conferences, on the sideline, preseason, I mean, all the way up. They have tape of all this stuff. They've got NFL security. They could figure this out. Again, it's the inconsistency that is really troubling. You got to do something a little bit more drastic. You got to, like, penalize them and take away a draft pick, right, in next year's draft. You got to suspend them for a half. I think that would make more of a point than just penalizing him with some amount of cash or the team in that regard. Take away the draft pick from the team and suspend Aaron Rodgers for a half, at least, if not a game. And then he would think twice about, you know, hurting his team. Okay, well, we do have another quarterback today. Let's go ahead and bring him in. He's the quarterback for the Phoenix of Elon University, the pride of Matthews, North Carolina, number 17, Davis Cheek. Davis, welcome to Pros Like Us. Hey, how you doing? Doing great. How are things going down there? Going really well. Practicing this week? You're getting ready for a big game, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We are uh, back in full swing after really disappointing loss from the past weekend. But, you know, what you got to do is you got to tee it up again and get ready for next Saturday. All right. You are statistically having the best season so far in your career. What do you attribute that to? Honestly, I attribute it to just everyone in the building. I mean, we've got a really good coaching staff and really good players around me. So, you know, they, they make my job easier. This is the ultimate team game in, in football. So, you know, all the credit goes to those guys, and they've been putting in a lot of work. And, I mean, I really like our team. You played James Madison and Villanova in back-to-back weeks. What were your overall impressions on those two opponents? They're good teams. You know, they've historically been very good teams. But more than anything, I think that we got off track and we stopped playing our best football. You know, we got we went through a streak there where we started getting better and better and better every single season. And we've taken some steps back in the past couple of weeks. And, and the thing is, it's not necessarily alignment or anything scheme-wise. You know, guys have been getting to spots that they need to, and we just haven't been making the plays that we need to across the board. So uh, we just got to get back on track to doing that, those sort of things. So this week you've got Towson, right, on the schedule? Yes, sir. So what do you have to do to to get back on track? Is it just simple, execute, don't turn the ball over? What are you going to have to do in order to to get that win? It really is as simple as just taking care of what we can and controlling the controllables. I mean, we have talented guys who have been making plays all season uh, across the board, and we just have to get back to playing our brand of ball in that case, you know, or in that sense. So it, it really just comes down to, us deciding that, you know, it's not about who we play, it's about how we play. That's been a theme that I've been preaching all season, and that's the theme that our coaches have been preaching all season, is that it's about that case. And when you go to film and you look at it, you know, you find that whenever we don't shoot ourselves in the foot, you know, we're a, a pretty good football team that's extremely hard to handle. So it just comes down to that, that extra sense of urgency and that extra mental focus to get back to what we've been doing that made us successful. Speaking of watching film, Davis, uh, preparation is a term that kept popping up as I was doing my research, you know, prior to our conversation here. What's a typical game week of prep for you? How does that go? Film is one of those things that I was always drawn to 
even in high school, I didn't, I would watch, but I didn't really know what I was watching. So when I got to college, I more tried to learn everything and learn what I was watching and learn the specifics and the ins and outs and everything. So more than anything, I don't try to reach a quota during the week of like, hey, this is how many hours I watch a film. At that point, I think you're just trying to reach the quota rather than making yourself comfortable. So I just watch film until I feel comfortable with the scheme of the other team, feel comfortable with what we're doing just feel as prepared as possible for Saturday afternoon. That preparation, I mean, you break it up into segments. That way you're not really overloaded. So, you know, usually you try to watch through some games early in the week and try to get a feel for how they're calling things, what's the base scheme, look at maybe for some tendencies, things like that. And then from there you segment it out to, you know, first down, second down, then you get into third down, third medium, third and long, red zone, special situations, like two-minute um, and just break those down by the days of the week. So the preparation kind of stays the same in terms of those sort of things. But in terms of the amount of hours watched, those things change per week just based on the scheme. Because some people's scheme is more just, hey, we're going to line up, we're going to play press man, and we're going to try to show that we're better than you. So we haven't really played too many teams like that this year. They've been Teams have been kind of on a roll of extra calls. You know, obviously I'm an experienced guy, so they're trying to get some things out there that's a little bit different in news. Knowing that, I've just really tried to dive into those sort of things and also understanding who the D coordinator is. Maybe you try to find some stuff that he's been doing from previous years, things like that, since we see other, other things that a lot of other quarterbacks or a lot of other teams don't necessarily see. Do you try to focus on those weaknesses that the defense presents, maybe attacking that true freshman corner, um, you know, seeing what they do on like third and long, third and short? I mean, do you try to attack those weaknesses that they have on that defense? Yeah, yeah, of course. You always look at personnel. And the, the weird thing with COVID is that pretty much every team is experienced team. I mean, I think Towson is probably the first team that doesn't have nine starters or 10 starters coming back from the spring or even the, uh, the previous fall. So, um, and even still, they have guys who have their transfers and they played a lot of football. So everybody that we're playing is extremely experienced and been in the system for a long time. So you, you really just try to take what the defense gives you, but try to attack personnel. But the thing is, everybody's personnel is pretty solid right now since they've been there for so long. You know, it's, I mean, even we have the same sort of deal going on, though. We have a lot of guys who have been, been in our system for a good amount of years now. But Peyton Manning says it all the time. It's like, you never go broke taking a profit. So that's more the kind of mentality that I try to play with. It's like, look, if the defense is going to give you a, an easy hitch in the boundary, we're going to take it every single day of the week and twice on Sundays. So you're digging pretty deep. I also read that you kind of suggest or maybe push a little bit. I want to ask you about that. Your wide receivers watch film with you. How does that mm-hmm. go as far as making those suggestions and kind of what you want to point out to them? Well, we've got a really good wide receiver core that, that really they, they challenge themselves and they want to get better. I mean, that's the best thing you can ask for as a quarterback because then – it's not as hard to pull people along with you, you know. I mean, I think that the guys around here know that I'm going to be in there watching every single day, regardless of what it is. And you, you pick a time, I'm pretty much in there. I just tell them, like, hey, guys, like, you want to come in. We, we go in there and watch things. And usually it'll be, like, third downs. Or if, if I see something in practice, it's like, this could be a really good scheme-wise. Like, if it, maybe posts and quarters, things like that. It's like, hey, like, this is how you, you should expect to run it this week based on what they've shown on film. Like, guys hard outside leverage, and he likes taking away certain routes. It's like, hey, like, this is what we'll probably get to. Or if we're situational, we have route adjustments, you know, hey, this is what I'll probably give you. And then my next go-to would be this, or the counter off that is this. So it's more just kind of situational planning and um, just kind of getting ideas in their head. But 
the goal you don't also don't want to say too much as well just because it's like their their objective is to play fast you know we want them to be able to go out there and and play as as fast as they can so it's a balance of things but it's it's good a little bit of film never hurts anybody and i think those guys have learned a lot being able to just come in and watch and then our our coaches obviously help us out with that stuff if we have any questions so it's just constant communication throughout the building uh, which is really what you want across all the levels yeah, I'll read a quote here. I expect myself to be perfect. That's the standard for me. Where does that come from? That's always how I've been just as a person. You know, I I expect myself to be perfect in every single way. I mean, even though it's obviously something that's completely unachievable, but the thing is you have to hold yourself to that standard because, I mean, if you if you hold yourself to anything less, then you just can't, you, you don't end up accomplishing as much as you would have if you hold yourself to the perfection standard. It's kind of like the aim for the stars and you hit the moon kind of thing. That's just kind of the way that I've always treated things, and that's the best way that I've found that uh, helps me prepare and get, and get into the right mindset. What's your favorite thing about playing football when you first started and then now if, if it's different? The first thing I loved about football and I fell in love with was the competition side of things. I was a really competitive kid, hated to lose kind of thing. You know, I loved to win, but I really hated to lose. I was always drawn to that. I was always drawn to the physicality of it as well. Like I, as you grow up in Pee Wee and that kind of stuff, you always, the Oklahoma drills, like all that kind of stuff. I always found that extremely interesting, but as I've gotten older and everything like that, I've just really enjoyed the impact that it has on people. Um, like for me personally, you know, it, it's brought family closer, you know, family around the country that I hadn't necessarily known that I have just gets to watch my games and support me through just those kind of things. So I think that's a, that's a really cool side of everything. Just also the, I've, gotten to know a lot of different people and a lot made a lot of connections with people around elon but then also just throughout my time in the in the four years around here that side of everything is really really awesome to me it just makes me a better person that's one of the best things when you're trying to find something that you want to do in life i think overall you want to find something that makes you a better person so i think that's what football kind of does because football parallels life in a lot of ways coming out of high school why did you choose to stay home and, and go to elon well, I didn't have a lot of options, honestly. You know, I had talked to people throughout the recruiting process, like some of the FBS schools around here, uh, like East Carolina. I talked to App. I had a few conversations with a couple other schools, Charlotte in particular. But, I mean, I never ended up getting an offer from them. I mean, I was a really skinny kid coming out of high school as well. It's not like my arm was the strongest in the world. Pretty average looking in most ways. I didn't really pass the eye test, so that's probably one of the main reasons for it. But yeah, that just caused me to not get a lot of offers. I ended up getting three total and two ended up getting pulled just because it was really, really, really late in the process. They ended up having other guys commit pretty quick. So Elon always felt good. Uh, I committed to them pretty early as well. I think I got kind of lucky because they offered first and I ended up visiting them. And I mean, it felt like a really good place and I felt like I could be successful there. I felt like I can play early, which is a big deal to me. They had a good coaching staff, which eventually left, and then another good coaching staff got brought in. So I got really lucky in that sense. So I just always kind of felt comfortable around here, and um, that's what I really look for in, in the recruiting process. How skinny were you coming out of high school? When I got here in the spring, because I graduated early from high school, so I want to say it was spring of 2017, I was 173 pounds. I think I was maybe slightly under 6'2". I think I'm just over 6'2 now. So I was still around the same height, but... I was a lot skinnier. I'm, I think, 50 pounds skinnier. Did you get to about 200 pounds after the first year? I gained about 30 pounds. Um, I got to about 203 before the season started. That was a big deal uh, to me. I wanted to kind of show that I was able to gain weight if I wanted to, and that was 
kind of my way of proving some people wrong, that sort of stuff. So I was a big deal. During the season, I ended up dropping to about 193. So I played my freshman season right around 193. And then from there, pretty much gained about 10 pounds every single year. And even now, I'm about, I've been staying around 215, which I was 220 before the season started. Um, Usually drop a couple pounds during the season, just, you know, lift as much and things like that. Yeah, I've been sitting around 215, so, uh, which has been a pretty good weight for me. Tell our listeners, I mean, what was the special diet plan that you were on that you were able to to gain 30 pounds? <laughs> well, at that time, it was eat everything in sight. It was eat at all times of the day. I would drink a bottle of water before I went to bed, eat what I call a triple-decker PB&J. So you take three pieces of bread, peanut butter on both sides of one of them, jelly on the other two, and you eat that before, right before you go to bed. Um, I would try to eat basically every two hours or so, and I always tried to basically until I was full sort of thing. As I've grown up and metabolism slowed a little bit, it's been a little easier to gain some weight because I've kind of gotten it down to a science. Eating every two hours, but eating cleaner, trying to get the vegetables, trying to get meats, carbohydrates. I've really done a lot of research with that. And luckily also my strength and conditioning coach is uh, really good in that area. I've tried a lot of different things like time-restricted eating, a lot of different stuff there, just anything to try and get an edge. So, But that all that kind of stuff has kind of given me a, a lot of knowledge to be able to get my process in terms of gaining and losing weight to a pretty good science. Well, Davis, that plan kind of worked out. I mean, you had the opportunity to start as a freshman. So the coaches got to see your work ethic and your perseverance in that regard. How surreal was that experience starting as a true freshman going from high school and playing against, you know, college players that were bigger and faster? It was really awesome. I don't think I ever really grasped it when I was, that when I was that young, especially my first start was a pretty abysmal. I definitely took that one pretty hard, but at the same time, I knew I, I knew I was going to come back from it. But it was a it was a really surreal thing, and I, one of the best things of my college career, honestly, is being able to start when I was a freshman. Um, I gained so much experience and knowledge just that first year, and even really in those first weeks. And if you go back and look at that first game, and then even later in the season, uh, you can just see how much I grew as a player that first season. I mean, there's there's really no substitute for experience. A lot of high school kids that I'm talking to, that's what I tell them. It's like, look, you want to go somewhere where they want you and that, that where, you, where you can play. It's because when you play a bunch of football, you know, you, you just learn nuances of the game that get lost if you don't have that experience. It was really, really awesome. I'm really glad I got that experience. You've had two major injuries there at Elon Davis, ACL, foot injury. Which was more difficult and what made it so? It's tough to say which one was more difficult. I would say being younger and that first major injury in the ACL and never having surgery before. Uh, I I was pretty angry after the ACL, after surgery and everything. I was just really mad situation, mad that it happened, mad that I couldn't help out the team. That side of everything was really tough, but I learned a lot about myself and learned a lot how to handle that and feel like I got better from it, so kind of stride and then and then the the last one the, the Liz Frank in the right foot that one was just tough just because who I am as a person is I really try to push and push and push and one of the hardest things with this is that you just you, you can't you know you have to let it rest you have to take those days off even when you're sitting there and other parts of you are feeling good and that foot's just not quite letting you run it's not letting you do this stuff and it was extremely painful honestly I mean that was the hardest thing for the summer is just pain tolerance because it, the, the problem with the foot is that it doesn't get a lot of blood and there's not a lot of soft tissue in there either. So, you know, they put, a, they put hardware in there. I've got, I think it's like six screws and a couple pins and stuff like that and a bunch of metal in the foot and it's holding it together. So 
all that stuff to heal takes a long time. I was off my feet for a long time. I couldn't drive, couldn't do anything like that. And, you know, it was just difficult in that sense. And it was just a mental grind to get up every single day. And you're like, Hey, I, I gotta go in there and I gotta take care of what I need to. And I gotta be present for my teammates. I gotta make sure that I'm you know, not neglecting any other responsibilities that I have. That's why I say this one was a little bit harder in that sense than just timing. It was a very quick turnaround. I had I had the injury on February 6th of uh, this past year um, and then got the news Monday, February 8th, saying, hey, this is what you did, which I was hopeful that it would be like three weeks or so. And they were like, look, this is what you did, and we want a surgery as soon as possible. And by as soon as possible, we mean tomorrow. So I got surgery the Tuesday, February 9th, and so it was a very quick turnaround. It was like, you tell me jump, I say how high. It was kind of bang, bang, but it's, I knew that's what I needed to do and to get back to my team. And so we did that. And me and another kid actually had the same injury. So we kind of, we were kind of able to share some of those experiences. So luckily I had someone who be able to talk to kind of thing. And that's Donovan Williams. He's been a good friend and a really, he's just a really great guy. But the teammates, honestly, they're, they're the biggest help throughout the entire thing. All right. You've been decorated a bit. Talk yeah. about having your best season. You have some awards, uh, two Colonial Athletic Association Offensive Player of the Weeks, games against Maine and New Hampshire. Uh, you're also National FCS Offensive Player of the Week. Uh, I believe it was for the New Hampshire game. But also last year, you were the Scholar Athlete of the Year for the CAA. Which award is meant the most to you, Davis, and why? You know, that's a tough question. I mean, honestly, I try not to really worry about awards and those sort of things, but I'd say the ones that kind of matter the most would be Players of the Week because I don't really see those as necessarily my accomplishments. I mean, that's a that's a team award in my eyes because no matter how well I play, you have to have teammates around you, and the thing is, those guys make me look good in a lot of ways. They do a lot of things for me. My offensive line is, you know, they're a young group, but they're, they've been coming together all season. They've been getting better and better and better, and they've been battling up there, so whenever you have those sort of player performances where, you know, they're highlighted and things like that, national media, I hope that it's understood, and if it's not, then I'm saying it now, that it's it is kind of a team award. It's an offensive award because everything has to go right um, across all phases. You know, you have to go 11 for 11. And, you know, luckily we've done that a, a few times this year. And you know, we, need, we definitely need to get back on track with it. But just proud of those guys around me. What would you say is your best trait that you bring to the football field? Ooh, I would say probably uh, most likely leadership. I feel like I'm a, someone who people can follow. People can talk to if they need to. I feel like I can relate to a lot of different guys in pretty much any situation. You know, you either sink or swim, and I think I swim in, in pretty much all those situations. I think that hopefully, I mean, as well, people feel the same way, but I feel like I'm, I just make people around me better, um, and that's really what I try to do, and I think I just do that by being as genuine and authentic as I can. That's really what it comes down to is just guys knowing that you're authentic in yourself. Luckily enough, I have a bunch of teammates who are fantastic people along with being really good football players. So they make that job pretty easy and make it easy just to kind of pull them along. But I'd say most likely that. All right, we have to do this. Take you back to 2019 against New Hampshire. was not a good game for you. Two pick sixes, four picks, I think, total, six sacks. You lost the game. But this year, you finally got a chance to play them again. You know, missed out on COVID and everything else. But 27 out of 31, 328 yards, two touchdown passes, a touchdown run. You won that Offensive Player of the Week that we mentioned. And the thing that struck me was the quote was, I still remember everything their players were saying to me. Okay. 
What were they saying then? If you could, you know, clean it <laughs> yeah. up if you have to. <laughs> I remember just trash talk in there, but they definitely tried to make things. They tried to make things personal and stuff like that, which that's all part of the game. That's that's part of the fun of it. Is people talk trash to you, but it's definitely something that I remembered. I I can't really say exactly what they said. I think that kind of stays on the field sort of thing. But I definitely just remembered it and I made a mental note of it. And I was like, that's fun. I'm gonna make sure to get you guys back and. Obviously, when the when the time came, so I had to I had to wait a couple of years, but it was definitely nice getting a win again. Did any of those guys come up to you after the game if they were still around, or do you remember any conversations you had after that game? Yeah, I, I talked to a few different guys up there. There's a, there's a few guys. I mean, obviously they've they've been around for for each other. Um, they've got a few good players around there that they've been playing for a long time and obviously their coaches as well. They've been there for for ages. So just the mutual respect between teams. We definitely had that after the game. Now, you have a, a rival in conference, James Madison. You know, they're moving on to a bigger and better things starting, I don't know if it's next year or the year after that. But their head coach, Kurt Signetti, was saying that you were one of the best quarterbacks that they've had to prep for. Now, granted, they also played against Trey Lance in the national championship game a few years ago. So I think that's high praise. For those that don't know, Coach Signetti's been around for a long time. He was with Chuck Amato at NC State when they had Phillip Rivers. And he also was quoted saying that Cheek reminds me of Rivers. What does that mean to you coming from a, a rival head coach? Coach Signetti was also my head coach my first couple of years at Elon before he went to James Madison. So I've always had a, a good connection with him. Um, but, I mean, it means a lot to have that respect and that kind of stuff. I mean, that's those are the things that you don't take for granted um, when it comes to like other coaches, you know, you hear rumblings and things like that throughout the week, but just that respect and everything, it means a lot just because it means that they know that they have to prepare for you differently than they prepare for other people. And at the end of the day, that's the highest praise you can get. It's much appreciated, but you know as well that you got to go out there and you got to prove it every single week. Well, Philip Rivers certainly had his style. I mean, I've seen some of your highlights. You seem pretty quick and nimble. Don't know that Philip was ever referred to as quick and nimble, even when he was at NC State. You think you could take him in a race? You know, I mean, at this point, yeah, I, I think I think I got being a little bit younger than him. I think uh, I think I could take him there, but I have a little bit of speed to me. I mean, if I need to, I don't I don't show it as much as I probably should, but I definitely have a little bit of athleticism. Which NFL quarterback do you try to model your game after? I watch a good amount of quarterbacks. I probably watch the most Aaron Rodgers. If I'm going to be completely honest with you guys, you hear that he's not the best guy to watch just because he's so different mechanically, which he is. His right arm has been uh, amazing. I mean, he, he throws one of the most beautiful balls that any, anyone's ever seen. So he's one of the best, and he's one of the best quarterbacks of all time. I mean, he's fantastic. So I've watched a lot of him, but I try to, what I try to do is I try to watch a few different guys just to take pieces of their game. I mean, I've watched even people like Dan Marino, when I was trying to quicken my motion up and things like that. But I've also watched Drew Brees, Tom Brady, um, Peyton Manning, and just try to get a feel for what their game is and what are they seeing and trying to interpret uh, things the way that they interpret them. So just to try and get inside their heads, that way I get as much knowledge as I can. So I, I wouldn't say I try I model it after a single person, but I try to I try to just make my game as sound as it can be by looking at what those of, who have come before me has done. I would say if I had to pick one, probably pick Tom Brady just because he's been doing this the absolute longest. And he's 
uh, amazing, but I, I try to move a little bit more than, than he does. I mean, he's a goat. He knows, he knows what people are doing before they do it. That's something that I drive to emulate. You know, that's, that's one of the biggest and best weapons you can have against a team is, is understanding what they're doing um, and being able to anticipate to play fast. What are your thoughts on the NFL? I want to play in the NFL. I want to play in the NFL for a long time. I want to. I want. I want to be the best quarterback to ever play. I mean, that's that's the motivation that comes to it. And it goes back to kind of the same sort of motivation as being perfect every single time you step on the field. Uh, obviously, there's things that have to happen for that for that to happen. But I hope that I get the shot. Things will work out the way they need to work out. But I'm excited for the opportunity to be able to show what I can. But as of now, it's you know it's also in the future. And I got I got two more games left to play. And at the end of the day, that's all I'm guaranteed is two more shots. I got take advantage of them and and really just enjoy this time with these guys because at the end of the day you never get your senior year back all right sounds great what i was thinking of more so like this weekend I, I can use some help in the you know with my picks they haven't been going very well so i mean if, they, if there was somebody that you liked you tell me right yeah i i got you you can text it to me you don't have to you don't have to go yeah. on record thanks again davis for your time and uh, your thoughtful answers this was a great time for us uh hopefully it was for you too uh here's the chance that you get to plug your social media handles any foundations you're involved with anything you want to plug so all yours if you want to follow me on instagram davis cheek just my name follow me on twitter uh, i think it's at cheek 2017 um search my name that's there feel free to follow me and engage with me pretty um, nice guy so feel free i'll try to try to engage right back yeah just follow elon and follow everything that they've been doing i think this is a good place and we do some good things around here so just keep following and uh hopefully we get some good things all right awesome davis we appreciate the time thank you sir thank you for everything Thanks again to Davis Cheek, quarterback at Elon University. Uh, hopefully, he'll be getting some of that good pros like us juju that Jack Sorensen seems to be enjoying. <laughs> Last night, again in action, five receptions, 112 yards at a deep uh, first offensive play of the game, 58-yard touchdown pass. So, uh, yeah, hopefully that good juju spills over to Davis Cheek. So midseason, here we are. It looks like the NFC, at least the top teams, have kind of separated, right? And there's almost the playoff picture is almost set for the most part. I mean, the bottom, that last wild card, the last two wild cards is going to be a kind of a crapshoot. But the top five teams, I think, are pretty much in stone Arizona, Green Bay, Tampa Bay, Dallas, and the Rams. Then you've got New Orleans and Atlanta. Uh, and then just the rest, right? Just a, a big mess. The AFC, you know, I wrote down in my note, you know, who do you trust? I don't know if I trust any of these teams. Tennessee, granted, I mean, that game against the the Rams was just a knockout. I mean, from the beginning. I mean, they just, and, but it was mostly, I think, the defense more so than the offense. The offense kind of did what they needed to do. They weren't great statistically, but the defense put them in so many great positions that they kind of rolled the Rams in Los Angeles, which again, now two games at home where they get rolled by Tennessee and Arizona. So there, there, there's one. But Tennessee is, has a loss to the Jets. How does that happen? But again, it was earlier in the season. You don't have Derrick Henry, Baltimore. You can't explain away that loss to Cincinnati where they got rolled at home by Cincinnati, who then goes out and stumbles twice in a row and gets beat up by... 
the Jets. Again, that team rears its ugly head. And then what happened with, with Cleveland? So I don't know. Who do you trust? It's a great question uh, moving forward. I mean, like you said, Tennessee really stepped up on defense without Derrick Henry. I mean, the way they played against the Rams, that defensive line, Kevin Byard, you know, as a safety. I mean, they were really good. I'm going to say the Buffalo Bills. Like, I trust the Bills, and I'll tell you why I trust the Bills. And I, I realize that we're taping the show after they lost to the Jacksonville Jaguars 9-6. to They had One six. of the worst teams. Right. And the Jaguars are one of the worst teams in the NFL, along with the Houston Texans. No questions asked. But the reason why I trust the Buffalo Bills is because they still have the best pass defense in the NFL. And they also have the third best rushing defense in the NFL. All right? So those things, when you put them together, saying to yourself that this is one of the best defenses in the NFL period, that's going to take you a long way, especially in the playoffs. You know you've got an all-world quarterback, Josh Allen. He didn't have a very good game against the Jaguars, but everybody can lay an egg. All right, Allen is still putting up the numbers. The only question that I ask myself is, can you win in the playoffs without a running game? And the Bills haven't had a running game in seems like forever. I mean, they just don't have it, all right? Can they complement Josh Allen? Like Devin Singletary and Zach Moss, I mean, they're average starters at best. I mean, they're backups in this league. So that's the question, Mark. When Josh Allen gets tamed a little bit, gets stopped in the playoffs by the better defensive teams, can they turn to the running game? Can they hold the lead in the fourth quarter? Can they milk the clock? That's the question mark that I have about the Buffalo Bills. But I trust them the most right now out of all the teams in the AFC. Well, granted, all these teams have warts, right? I mean, there's there's not going to be a a perfect team. And again, it's just mid-season. I don't know, a couple of years ago when when the Chiefs won the Super Bowl, they were, I think, six and four. Last year... Tampa Bay weren't they like seven and five at some at one point so I think really now that the you know in the northeast I mean I'm looking outside all the leaves have turned colors many of them have already fallen off the tree so that's kind of back in the day the way they said this is where teams really start to show themselves so hopefully moving towards Thanksgiving once we get past Thanksgiving we'll have a better view but you can look at every single one of these teams and say, I don't know. You know, it, Seriously. Again, they lost to Jacksonville, which is, I don't even know how to explain that. But the other one is they don't score a touchdown. Again, it's just, it's, it's mind boggling. But it was also a week where you saw Dak go down 0 to 30, 30 to nothing. You know, they scored a couple of touchdowns late, but it was like garbage time and it really didn't matter. You know, Mahomes, again, struggled. The team only scored 13 points. New Orleans, who had kind of put the throttle on Tampa Bay the week before, gets beat at home by Atlanta. You know, Stafford, we already talked about that, you know, the game against Tennessee and some of the inexplicable throws that he made. I mean, he kind of looked like uh, Carson Wentz in the end zone there, just kind of turning and letting it fly. So I'm just looking at the AFC. Yeah, I would tend to agree with you, Buffalo. But again, you look at their schedule and they lost at home to Pittsburgh, who, of course, is not, you know, not a great team. They beat Miami. They beat Washington football team. They beat Houston. Big win against the Chiefs. They had a chance. Tennessee, they should have won that game, but they didn't. 
And then they come back, beat Miami again, Jacksonville. They play the Jets this week. I mean, you look at the schedule. It's like, wow, okay. <laughs> again, I, and I hear what you're saying about the statistics and everything else and the players and the improvements they've made and what they have at quarterback and the receiving core. But, yeah, they don't have a dominant runner. Singletary, Moss, we'll have to wait and see. But how about these other teams? Do you, how about a team like New England who just is kind of plodding along you know, they're getting better with their rookie quarterback. I think, did you have them in the playoffs? I think I might have had them in the playoffs. What I do you make? What do you make of, of them? I mean, they're going to be playing, I don't know, let me see. When do they play here? New England and Buffalo. I mean, that's going to be, that's going to be a big time game. Not to week 13, and then they play again in week 16. Those are going to be some games to point to. But Buffalo, the Jets this week, then the Colts at New Orleans, then New England at Tampa. Schedule starts to get a little tougher here at the end. Carolina at home at New England again, Atlanta. Then they finish with the Jets. So, I mean, it's not not the toughest schedule out there. So, I think maybe they are going to be the team. Uh, hard to say. Do you have the Patriots in the playoffs right yeah. now? Yeah. No, you don't. Yeah. I've, I picked them at the beginning of the year. I just don't know. I don't know that they win the division. No, they're not going to win the division. Forget about that. And by the way, I want to say that the Patriots are not going to be in the playoffs. It's a nice story. I mean, they're going to hover around 500. That's the best that they can do because the AFC West is loaded. I can't see how three teams out of that division don't make the playoffs. And right now, I mean, the Chargers are 5 and 3, the Raiders are 5 and 3, the Chiefs and the Broncos are 5 and 4. I just think like two of those teams are definitely going to make the playoffs. I say three. I mean, when it's all said and done, I don't even know who wins that division because it's going to be like down to the wire. Same thing with the AFC North. Yeah, the Ravens are six and two right now. They're leading the division, but the Steelers, you know, they're creeping up. They're five and three right now. And the Browns and the Bengals are five and four. I mean, sitting right here after like eight or nine games, can you... Tell me for sure who's going to win that division. I'm going to say the Cleveland Browns. I think I believe in them a little bit more. Maybe it's because I picked them to go to the Super Bowl, but I just think I, I trust them a little bit more. Now they got OBJ out, and I think they can get on a roll. So I don't know who wins that division, the AFC North. So I'm going to say the Patriots are going to be out because, you know, there's going to be like one more team out of the AFC North, and I say three teams out of the AFC West that get in. I like Baltimore. I like the way the way Lamar is playing. He's elevated his game, and he's throwing the ball a lot better. Uh, yeah, again, they had that loss against Cincinnati. You wonder what you know what what the heck happened there. But again, they're sitting there at six and two. I think they're going to win that division. I still don't. I I don't believe in Pittsburgh at all. Yeah, T.J. Watt is is going to do his thing, and he'll he's probably going to win Defensive Player of the Year. Him or Garrett. Yeah, I, I'm I'm liking Baltimore in that division. It's just it's just Belichick, man. I think he I think they have a chance of winning that division. I I truly believe that. Buffalo again, like you said, the running it, it scares me when they have to have you know two or three yards or when do they have to throw the ball or does Josh Allen have to carry it? I'm sticking with the coach there. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go with New England winning that division. 
maybe two teams out of the West. I, I think a couple of those are going to fall off. We'll see this week. I mean, the Chiefs play the Raiders. I mean, the winner of that game, I think, maybe progresses on. And the team that loses, you know, especially if the Chiefs lose this game, it, it's going to be difficult for them to kind of leapfrog these teams that have one and two games ahead of them, especially if they lost to now both the Raiders and the Chargers, if it goes that way. But if they win the game, then I think, you know, maybe there is an opportunity here. I think with the NFC, I mean, the the picture is clear. There's no question about it. It's very but clear. I mean, other other than that last, you know, the last two wildcard spots. The two most disappointing teams in the NFC to me have been the my 49ers and, Seattle. and the Carolina Panthers. Now, I had well, the Panthers Well, Carolina the because we picked them. Right? No, you didn't pick them. Not for the playoffs, but I think but I thought, you know, with Darnold, they were going to be very competitive. You know, I mean, not and win a bunch of games. Maybe not make the playoffs, but win a bunch of games where now it doesn't look so good. Well, he's out for the next couple of he weeks. Is, he's he been is. playing yeah. like trash. I mean, he he's has. like he's got seven touchdowns and eleven picks. You know, I've been hyping him up during the summer, saying, "Oh, Sam Darnold, finally got a real head coach, a real offensive coordinator, a real offense. You know, real weapons at wide receiver." I mean, he's laid an egg. I mean, he was seeing ghosts again against the Patriots. Only this was at home. He just can't get over and, and win against Bill Belichick. Sam Darnold is going to be a backup next year for somebody. I'm not even sure that it's going to be in Carolina. It's just, yeah, it has been a huge disappointment. But my Niners as well, Lou. I mean, there's no question about it. The team should be better. And you've been asking the the question the last couple of weeks, can Kyle Shanahan survive? Well, you know what? If he keeps doing what he's been doing the past couple of weeks, I say get rid of Shanahan at the end of the year. The only reason that they won't is because they drafted Trey Lance and they want to see what happens next year with him. Well, it doesn't get any easier. They play the Rams this week. Rams coming off a loss. San Francisco has really struggled at home over the last two seasons. Now they lose McGlinchey. I mean, they, they've one, they've had a horrible luck with injuries, but every team has injuries, and you're just expecting your next man up. These are all professionals. No, you're not going to be as good as you were without your starter, but you got to find ways to win. They're just not doing it, and Kingsbury... Quietly, as we've questioned, you know, I don't know so much you, but but we've kind of questioned his coaching ability. He's a better pro coach than he was a college coach. And he went in there and he laid the wood on Shanahan's team. So I that was the scary part to me. Not just because I picked them and I thought maybe they could, you know, squeak one out. But wow, they they really put and James Connors having like a, a resurrection in the desert. Good for him. Erie, Pennsylvania's own James Conner, that is. You know, shameless plug for the you know for the crib here. Don't get me started. I mean, Colt McCoy beat up on the San Francisco 49ers, and Colt McCoy looked like the reincarnation of Joe Montana. No D Hop, no AJ Green. How did they how did they win? I mean, not just win, but they crushed them. The 49ers stink. That's your answer. Discombobulated. And again, you gotta look at you gotta look at the coaching. Is Atlanta gonna get that seventh spot? Is New Orleans gonna hold on to the sixth spot? Which team in this mess would make a run? I don't see Minnesota doing it. Maybe Seattle with Russ comes back and, and the hand is fine. 
because there's really not much ground to make up. You've only got Atlanta in front of you, and they're just a game back of these teams. But the rest of them, you know, I'm just not feeling it with any of those teams. Minnesota? No. Philadelphia? No. The Giants? Eh. The Bears? No way. Uh, The football team, which I thought was going to be a great defense, they're horrible. So... Yeah, Seattle may be able to sneak in there just because of how bad the bottom of the the NFC uh, playoff picture is. I'm going to stick with the Saints. I just stick with the Saints? I said this a couple of weeks ago. They'll figure it out, Lou. I mean, Trevor Simeon, Taysom Hill, they'll figure this out. They have a good defense, Lou. So I think I'm going to stick with the New Orleans Saints. Well, they're going to stay in there. I'm saying the seventh spot because New Orleans right now is in the sixth spot. But for the seventh, I don't think New Orleans falls out of the top seven. But one team, I think, will overtake Atlanta. Would you, you'd agree with that, right? I just can't see the Falcons like getting into the playoffs. But they have already overexceeded my expectations and your expectations. You know, there's no way that we saw them as a four and four team after eight games. Well, maybe four and four, but not in the playoff picture. But but again, it's you know with an extra team, an extra game, you know all sorts of things are going to be different this year. And there was no way of accounting for any of that. And now they play at Dallas this week, and Dallas is just I think ready to get a can of whoop ass on for somebody. And I think Atlanta might be the unsuspecting victim. But then they've got New England at Jacksonville, Tampa Bay. I mean, it's not easy the rest of the way. They got to go to Buffalo near the end of the year, so not really feeling them either but uh we talked a little bit about the Corinti hip check the emphatic flag toss do you think that referee was showboating a little bit because it just seemed like after the bump it was like i'll show you buddy but then they're saying oh no he was already reaching for the flag i don't know i just just a quick i don't want to get into that i mean the referees we we can do like a separate podcast no just 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 NFL refereeing is low all right uh, not going so well. <laughs> I have to admit, the Bears pulled it out for me. Thank God. And I thought that was the the riskiest one of all. Thirteen and twenty overall. One and three again last week. Cincinnati. Wow. San Francisco. Wow. And then Baltimore struggles with Minnesota. Finally got it done in overtime. So yeah, not feeling real good. The dogs overall though were ten and four. Jacksonville plus fifteen wins straight up. But uh, I mentioned the games before, you know, Denver put it on, you know, in Dallas, Jacksonville, you know, Green Bay with the backdoor cover there. They were getting seven points. So they, they covered the spread against the Chiefs, who have been awful against the spread. Atlanta, straight up winner. Tennessee, straight up winner. So it was a dog's week. Now, I think you your game was a winner last week. Barely. I mean, the Chargers covered. There you go. Three. Woohoo! Hey, a win's a win. Uh, I've got three for this week. Going to try to change it up a little bit. It was very difficult to come up with these three, but here I go. A-Rod comes back, hopefully. I'm going to take Green Bay, minus three and a half, even with Russell. It's at Green Bay. Uh, I just think the Packers are going to be too strong. And Seattle, again, even though I just said that we're going to come back and maybe get that spot, I still say that happens. But Green Bay is going to win this one. Dallas... Again, I think is just going to crush Atlanta in this game. They're minus nine and a half or ten. And then my team versus your team, New England, Cleveland. I'm going with Bill. I'm going with Bill. Minus one and a half at home, Foxborough. 
Come on, Alex. Who do you got? Uh, Baker is going to win that game in <laughs> He's not Sam Darnold. All right. It's the Mac attack, baby. Did you see him twist? What's his name? Was it the Brian Burns' knee? What was he doing there? That was a dirty play. Yeah. That was a dirty play. Oh, absolutely. I, mean, I, yeah, I didn't I mean, like I didn't like his explanation either. He I thought he had the, he thought he had the ball. <laughs> now what's he gonna get fined? Okay, CeeDee Lamb, twenty grand for untucked shirt. A-Rod doesn't wear a mask at like fifty uh press uh appearances or on the sideline, fourteen thousand. what's Mac Jones gonna get fined for? Five thousand probably. Little. <laughs> That's about it. I mean, they don't like C.D. Lamb, but they're taking care of the quarter. Well, the league typically comes down hard on the Patriots in these things, so you never know. Well, they they come down hard on on Kraft and and Bill Belichick. I think they'll take it easy on the rookie. Who's your pick, man? You're on a roll. I'm taking the Broncos. I think the Broncos have figured out. I mean, they saw a formula against the Cowboys that worked. I think Pat Shermer is going to run the football more because Gordon and Javante Williams looked really really good and we saw what teddy bridgewater can do with those play action passes when he doesn't have to wing it you know 50 times a game so that's a winning formula and the broncos did really well on defense against the cowboys only a couple of garbage touchdowns for the cowboys in the end but they held them to like zero points for almost the entire game so i'm taking the broncos at home minus two and a half over the philadelphia eagles God, that just seems like such a weird number, doesn't it? Philadelphia traveling. Denver just comes off a huge win. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's only two and a half. I thought it would be more. So, yeah, okay, there you go. The Broncos, the AFC West, baby. The Chiefs are, what, they're, I think, 4-0 against the AFC now. Now, granted, the NFC East and uh, the A-Rod-less Packers, yet here we are. They only have one win against the AFC, not looking good. So that's going to do it for us this week, folks. Thanks again to our guest, Davis Cheek of the Elon University Phoenix. For Alex, I'm Lou. As always, on the way out, peace.